and I get the coal into my tinder bundle and I start blowing and sure enough there it is flame I'll never forget that and I just bawled I just cried and cried and cried because I had worked so hard for this thing and I just I knew at that moment that in order to have fire I couldn't my heart had to be right in the right place Welcome to the Why We Hike podcast, where we explore the highs, the lows, and the whys for going outside. I'm your host, Ford Thunder Erickson, and boy howdy, that intro rhymed real good. Let's do some talking. What? You're being such a good boy. What a good dog. Make some noise, Charlie. That is the panting of Lori Guthrie's dog, Charlie, which is a feisty little fella, but we love him. <laughs> How uh, many times has he bit you? Uh, I think he's only bit me twice. It's not bad. But I was asking for it both times. <laughs> Charlie doesn't like it when I get on my skateboard for some reason. No, he doesn't. I just stand on the skateboard, and he just comes charging from the other side of the lawn and attacks me, and so I was doing it on purpose, and he did attack me a couple times. But As long as you know it's coming, then uh-huh. that, that's it's all fair. Yeah, I... No, Charlie's a good guard dog. He keeps us safe from all the burglars out here. <laughs> Charlie's about, what you, maybe one foot tall, maybe? Oh, a little over a foot gosh. tall. Would you give him that even? I don't know. <laughs> I think that's about eight inches. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's a he's a ravenous beast. Jack Russell terrorist is what we call him. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Well, anyway, we're sitting here in the backyard of my good friend slash coworker slash Arizona mom slash landlord. A lot of different <laughs> aspects to our relationship. Lori Guthrie, love her so much. Um, I met Lori while working at Anasazi. You started in 2015, right? Mm-hmm. Like fall, summerish. 2015. I love that you do so much research on your people that you're interviewing either that or you just have an amazing memory well it's just, i'm good friends with every person so it's pretty easy <laughs> but uh so i met Lori back then and i met i started i met her in 2016 she started anasazi in 2015 and uh we worked together out there we had some funny times out there in the wilderness and became good friends and Lori um walked the trail for about a year or so and then uh now you Lori works in the office at Anasazi, still is very much involved. And then uh, her and her husband, Greg, rent out their basement to different trail walkers at Anasazi. And I've lived here a couple different times now. It's great. And uh, But even before that, uh, Lori was a police officer and was also... She's, she's had a very strong passion for the outdoors and hiking and whatnot for a long time. And I wanted to hear a little bit more about how that happened. Um, she had her license plate says love to hike so <laughs> seems like a pretty good candidate for this podcast yeah. um, but I did have a question first off this is, has nothing to do with anything I just talked about but it's something just we need to clear up and if you're uncomfortable talking about this I totally understand I'm nervous uh, how old are you oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> because okay let me why <laughs> because for years you've been my Arizona mom yeah. That's very clear, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but then I was thinking about it. Because, oh, yeah. So when I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, all the different titles of relationship. I was like, you know, yeah, Lori's like my Arizona mom. But she's kind of like my Arizona big sister as well. But then she's kind of like my Arizona aunt. Yeah. 
And then almost kind of like a grandma as well. But I was like, well, maybe that's maybe that would offend her. I don't know if I should say that. But I'm like, well, how old is Lori anyway? So what is our age difference and what... Maybe this is weird. I don't... I don't if You don't have to say no, it if you don't want to. Funny. I think it's funny because so many people who meet me um, have no clue how old I am. Mm. And it's... I got good genes. I was blessed by my mom and dad in that... Uh, I look a lot younger than mm. I am, and when people find out my actual age, most of the time they're way off. <laughs> uh, and when I remember as I came to Anasazi as a trail walker, I was telling my husband, I'm like, I can't go do that. I'm too old to be a trail walker. Yeah. And uh, and he was like, no, they'll never know how old you are. <laughs> and because uh, most trail walkers are in their mid twenties, yeah. generally early thirties, maybe. I I walked the trail when I was forty. I'm now forty five. Forty five. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that sets the record straight. So I am thirty five. So can't be your mom. Can't quite be the mom. Be a little weird. I could be an aunt or an older. You definitely sister. could be an aunt or older sister, but you definitely got some mom grandma vibes for me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so well, I, just... I, I do consider you my son. I have a picture of you on my mantle, <laughs> which is one of the greatest honors of my life. <laughs> so anyway, just had to clear that up. Uh, but yeah, Lori, I wanted to know what were you always into hiking, or was there certain certain life events or something that caused you to kind of get into it? Because you're an Oregon girl as well. But you're, you've been down here in the desert of Arizona, the complete opposite, um, for quite some time, 10 years. Um, what were you into the outdoors? What what led you to get into that? And what, what yeah, let me just start there. That's an awesome question. Um, no, I, I grew up in rural Oregon uh, in a small town called Springfield. And popula- that the, that's the Simpsons town. It is the Simpsons town. Yeah. Yep. Population around 55,000. And... Um, I mean, I guess it's small. To me, it's small compared to Mesa, yeah, Arizona. Yeah. Uh, but I grew up in the rural country, and we had, in our backyard, was just straight forest, and across the street was a river, mm. and um, the McKenzie River. And uh, I I grew up liking nature, but not really into hiking, necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I remember hiking a little bit as a kid, but just playing in the backyard. But it wasn't a thing for me. I wasn't obsessed with it until um, about 2001. Hmm. Uh, I don't know how old that makes me. I'm not good at math off the top of my head. You're about 20... I had to be close 23, to... 23, early 20s. Yeah, 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 yeah that sounds yeah. about right. Yep. Okay. And um, I was... Actually, I was going through a pretty heavy divorce. Hmm. Um, it was pretty uh, traumatic. I guess my husband left me for somebody else and wow. I was very overweight. I was 200 plus pounds and only five foot tall and very unhealthy and um, super depressed. Mm. And I decided I needed to do something to change my life. I was working in law enforcement um, and that part was fine at the time, but uh I, I just really was unhappy. And so I, I started hiking. Um, you were still in Oregon at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, very much. Yep, yeah. yep. I didn't come to Arizona until 2010. Okay. So, um, but I started 
first I started just walking, just walking through the neighborhood, walking as many miles as I could until I built up my stamina. And then there was um, a hiking trail near my house called uh, Mount Pisgah. And um, it was only maybe 20 minutes from my house. So I would just go there after work or before work and hike. And I started listening to music and it was good uplifting music for me. Um, And it just started to clear my head and put me in a positive spin. Mm. So literally within one month, I was no longer upset with my ex-husband. I was actually, I forgave him and just, uh, I knew that if he wasn't happy with me, everybody in this world deserves to have happiness. And so I thought, you know what? Go be happy wherever you're going to be happy. But I deserve to be happy too. And so I wasn't mad at him anymore. And I just knew that I needed to do something that made me happy. And losing weight, my self-esteem started to build. And I had some friends that were also into hiking. So we would hike together. And then I did some little pieces of the Pacific Crest Trail every year. um, That I did one of those trips by myself. Um, just, it was only like a, I don't only say like three or four days of it by myself, but it was enough that, uh, I was able to just really kind of find my center, my ground, you know, just to figure out where I wanted to be and came off of that trip and started just going on with life Wow! and then moved here eventually. That's crazy. What, what do you think it was about in that really vulnerable kind of painful time that just the act of, of just, you know, you said it just started out with just walking around the neighborhood at the start and then just kind of gradually, then eventually you were backpacking several days alone on the Pacific Crest Trail, you know? What, what do you think it is? And I don't, I don't know the answer to this. <laughs> what do you think it is about walking that helps? Or how, what did it do for you, I guess, in your experience? You know, it's it's hard to say, but I would think that maybe some of it is trading one habit for another, uh. I guess. Like, in my heavy stage and in my depressed stage, I was consumed with sedentary life and just eating and mm. doing, you know, unhealthy things. Um not a lot of self-reflection or uh, positive momentum and so when I was hiking or walking I was able to listen to like I said good music that would just get me excited and happy Mm -hmm. and then I started like focusing on goals of I went this far last time I'm going to go even further this time and that Mount Pisgah hike uh, I started going all the way to the top all the way to the bottom and then doing it again right after it and then then it would be like, okay, I did a back-to-back in the morning, and I'm going to go back out that night and do it again. Wow. And, um, and it just it felt good to, like, huh. set those goals and be able to accomplish it. And so I'm not sure, like, what it was about it specifically that, um, you know, helped me in a different way than other uh-huh. things, other than it was trading negative positive yeah I guess Uh that makes sense yeah totally makes sense um I don't know what obviously my experience is different than yours I wasn't going through what you're going through but I like when I 
like with me with running and stuff it's it's pretty yeah it's similar and I, I can i can understand what you're saying like when you're talking about how you you would climb that mountain and then you do it again like back to back like probably i assume most people who are out hiking that trail on those days don't do that and then you go back that night and do it again just kind of like to some people that's kind of insanity like why would you do that you know um but i get it i get that like there's a mountain here in mesa just a little hill it has like three different names spook hill or uh-huh. sometimes i'll go there and just run up and down it over and over and over yeah. <laughs> and it does seem kind of like insanity but there is something about the that goal yeah. i don't know there's something about that reaching that stretching like oh man i think i could do one more yep <laughs> and it's weird i don't i don't understand it but i think everyone who's experienced that you know they understand what that is and it does something for me as well it's interesting because right now um, I'm not depressed. I'm pretty happy and I feel like pretty even keel. And in life in general, a lot has changed in the last, you know, 10 plus years. And um, But I am heavy again and I'm finding myself walking again. So I'm not, I haven't been hiking. Um, like it was easier in Oregon because it was cooler weather, obviously. And I didn't yeah. mind walking in the rain because... Uh, that's just normal part of what happens when you live there but it was cool enough that you could do it where here once it gets hot it's hard unless you're super conditioned for it when I first moved here I hiked every single day and I moved here in June Um, and it didn't stop me but I was conditioned for it now I'm heavy, not because I'm depressed, but just because life has happened and I've gotten older. And that's part of what happens, I think. Uh Um, But I'm walking again. I'm in these walking competitions, Fitbit challenges with people at work. I've heard about these. These are very contentious. Very. um, We've got some aggressive. I have aggressive competitors. I've, I've heard. Like insane. I have not walked so many steps in my life. I don't think. Um, anyway, but they've got me going, and it I hadn't really thought about till this moment during this interview huh. of um, my obsessiveness of going a little bit further every time. I've been doing that with this walking challenge oh. now, which is exciting to me because that means that I'm going to get back to hiking again more, I think. Yeah. It's just um, it's unfortunate that we're going into summer now, but uh-huh. uh, but I can make it work. I can. I think I'm, oh, yeah. I'm very excited totally. about it. Yeah. Uh, so what, what led you to, what led you to Arizona first off? And then what was your experience like coming to the desert from Oregon? Very different scenery and whatnot. And what was that like? And then finding Anasazi, Anasazi Foundation. What, what drew you to that? That's a lot of questions there. I, I was just going to say, that's a lot of questions, so you may have to redirect start, yeah, yeah. me. <laughs> start with one. How did, um, how did you get from Oregon to Arizona? That's a pretty random change. Yeah, uh, I was at a spot in my life where, although I was super comfortable with my job, I actually thought I'd be in law enforcement for the rest of my life. I yeah. thought it was going to be my career thing. I started when I was 17, and... You know, at that point I was 34, almost 35, and... I started at 17? Yeah, I started as a volunteer, and I count those years because I spent so much time down there while I was going through college, Um, but then eventually started working there. But anyway, I I liked it, uh, but I could see that it was drawing me into this kind of negative mindset, even though I felt like I was a pretty positive person, I felt 
this negative mindset coming on and it was because everybody I dealt with was negative you know and, it, and yeah. not not necessarily the people I worked with but you got to think when you call a police department for help it's the worst day of your life yeah. for whatever the reason whether you're a victim of something or you just witness something horrific or if you're having contact you're going to jail for you know having to deal with the consequences of whatever action you had yeah. all those things are negative bad things um, initially during that time and so everybody I contact with was just kind of like man I'm getting yelled at for something or yeah. you know people crying to me and my heart because I I feel like I'm a pretty compassionate person oh, yeah. just it would pull on my heartstrings and I was having a hard time being able to separate my personal feelings from what my work life was doing to me and so uh, I had one friend who lived in Arizona and she happened to reach out to me randomly and said come down and visit and I came down to visit in December of 2009 and said holy cow this place is amazing it's blue skies and uh -huh. there's palm trees and she had come from Oregon <laughs> yeah. so I said is it always like this and she said yeah it's always like this it's beautiful and I I mean I felt like not was I on, just on vacation but I felt like I was in a tropical place of vacation with the palm trees and <laughs> yeah. blue sky and so um I loved it and I went back to Oregon after just you know a week or five days or whatever it was and thought to myself why am I staying in Oregon huh. like that's I was in the same town I was born in hmm. I wasn't married I wasn't in a relationship I have no kids so what was holding me grounded to Springfield when I had this huge world that I could go check out yeah. and uh, and so um, she invited me to come back down in April because she was getting married and so I came back in April of 2010 and at that during that trip I actually was crying at the airport in Arizona because I didn't want to come back to Oregon Wow! I just wanted to stay and so I huh. made it a goal that by June of 2010 I would be here and I was here June 4th Wow! and um, That's crazy yeah it, it was because I didn't have a job lined up so you just came I I just you didn't have a job when you nothing. came or anything Wow! and I had always been huh. extremely independent I ever since my divorce in 2001 I was very very independent I needed to make my own money and secure my own rent and not depend on other people to help me and um, I had about four or five months of savings and this friend said come live with us and we'll help you out till you get on your feet and I uh, I jumped and it was scary, but it was by far the best decision I ever made. So wow. many blessings from moving. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's how I got to Arizona. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't realize, I figured you maybe were a police officer here or something, got <laughs> transferred or something. I had no idea. It was just like you just felt it yeah. and just made the jump. That's incredible. Um, so, so what was it like being here? So that was what 2010 you said mm -hmm. 2010 what, what was it like because I remember you you've talked to me a lot about kind of in those early years of being here all the different hikes and stuff you'd go on what was it like hiking in the desert and kind of exploring the mountains around here for you that's an awesome question uh, drastic contrast <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, 
One of the things in Oregon that I loved about those hikes was that not only did you have the green scenery, um, but you felt like enclosed all the time. You felt like you were being hugged by the trees instead of us hugging trees, the trees were hugging you. And then when I got here, it was like, oh my gosh, I can see forever and ever because the trees aren't there. It's just vast desert. And uh, the one thing I, I noticed pretty quickly, which was a little sad for me, was that I could see garbage and um, that it made me sad because I didn't notice the garbage in Oregon mm. and I don't know if it's because it was camouflaged within the trees and the foliage and yeah. shrubs and stuff or if there was just more garbage because the you know the desert the wind can just carry things mm. and so uh, I, I initially was really into hiking anything that was close to me so at the time when I first moved here the closest hiking trail was uh, South Mountain Mm. area and uh, I was hiking one particular trail all the time trail running it I told you a story about it the other day when I biffed it coming down the hill (laughs) I always thought that for any trail where there's trail runners have you ever seen when you're on the highway and you see those those off ramps that the semi trucks can take when they're out of control oh, and their brakes yeah. go out. I feel like they should have those on hiking oh, trails. Oh hundred percent. Because sometimes your momentum just gets going so fast that you just need a place to go uphill for a second because you're oh, not going to stop. Man. I never thought of that. That would be genius. <laughs> I definitely have needed that a few times. Right. <laughs> but uh, I started um, hiking. I was trail running a lot when I first got here and. Uh, eventually I moved over towards Scottsdale and was hiking near um, uh, Papago Park okay and that's when the trash obsession started Mm. I I started taking garbage bags out with me and just collecting trash every time I hiked and then anytime I hiked anywhere I took a bag oh I remember you telling me about this yes this is a good story (laughs) It, it was so obsessed with it that I I created a an idea. I won't say I wanted it to be a nonprofit type deal. Yeah. But it, it never came into fruition, is that the right word? It never yeah. like really developed. Uh-huh. Uh, but I called it hike and it was an acronym for hike in clean with a K uh-huh. environments. Yeah. Hike in clean environments and I thought I could do organization uh, meetings where people would get together to go hike trails specifically with the intent of cleaning them and then post pictures about it and get people into this movement of just cleaning up litter that's in our beautiful parks and uh, national forests and whatnot and uh, I got really obsessed with cleaning out at Papago Park to the point where I was taking home two to three garbage bags of trash every single day oh my God. i would look forward to it after work i would just go and pick up trash and i'm sure people thought i was nuts but i got a lot of compliments too like yeah. there was a lot of trail runners in that area that would just run the circumference of this particular butte and they would see me out there picking up trash and they would just say thank you so much because there was just gatorade bottles and water bottles and yeah. wrappers and 
things will blow off of McDowell um, Road. I don't know what it is. McDowell Street, whatever. Yeah, Papago Park's an, an interesting park because it's really it's just really cool little desert preserve, little trail system, but it's right in the middle of the city. Yeah. So you're surrounded by the concrete jungle all around it, but it's this little urban preserve, so it gets a lot more trash than most other places. Yeah. So I... At some point, I contacted the city, and I just said, Hey, can you guys put a garbage can out here? Because I'm taking home, you know, bags of garbage and putting it in the dumpster at my apartment, and it's kind of ridiculous. And maybe we could stop some of this garbage from collecting if we just had a garbage can out here. Yeah. And then eventually, one day, I saw a garbage can, and I was so excited. (laughs) I was, like, taking pictures of it, and I was posting it online. I'm like, this is my garbage can. (laughs) I asked for it, and I got it. And then um, City of Phoenix contacted me and said, hey, do you want to come volunteer for us? And I said, sure. So I was a volunteer for, gosh, a couple years, two, three years, and decided I wanted to be a park ranger. And that's when I went back to school. So I think this is wow. going to lead to your next question. <laughs> yeah, wow. I forgot about the trash story. Thanks so much for bringing that up. Man, yeah, that's so awesome. So, okay, so at this point, you start getting interested in being a park ranger. And and you did that, right? You did that for a while. So what was that like? And then what led you to Anasazi Foundation? How did you discover it? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so I, uh, after volunteering for a while, I, they finally had a job opening for a park ranger position, and I took that, and uh, it was a lot different in a municipal setting than I thought it would be. Mm. I thought there would be a lot more hiking and talking to hikers and telling them about the plants and animals, and yeah. um, it really... Uh, nothing against City of Phoenix and their park management system because I made a lot of really good friends there. Uh, I love those guys, but it wasn't for me. Yeah. It wasn't the fulfilling uh, park ranger experience that I hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I kind of have to back up a little bit because before I'd got the position as a park ranger, I had started going to school. And I had taken a class called Outdoor Recreation. What was it called? Outdoors. I don't even know what it's called. (laughs) That's pretty sad. Um, We call it Outdoor Survival Skills, but that's not what it's called. Outdoor Adventure Skills is Ah. what it's called officially at Mesa Community College. And the instructor was... um, None other than Greg Guthrie. Oh, for that guy. <laughs> and I, I started listening to him, and he was teaching primitive skills and teaching the things that they teach at Anasazi. Uh-huh. And I thought it was very interesting. And so I started dating him. And then because up, it was interesting. Because it was interesting, yes. <laughs> and I ended up marrying him. Oh. I know. Fast forward. And... But one of the things that Greg always said was, man, you need to go work for Anasazi. You need to go check this place out. And uh, the opportunity to be a park ranger came up, and I took it, and Greg kept saying, you're going to hate it. You're going to hate it. And I thought, 
no, this is the dream. Yeah. I didn't want to work in law enforcement when I moved here. I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something outdoors, mm -hmm. something that would be uh, a happy, rewarding job. Yeah. And what I found as a park ranger was that I was changing a lot of toilet paper rolls and cutting a lot of trees back and yeah. picking up garbage, which was fine. But it seemed like I was getting overpaid to pick up garbage when yeah. volunteers can do that all day long. And uh, so Greg actually influenced me to apply at Anasazi. And uh -huh. interestingly enough, I had saw the website for Anasazi when I very first moved here. Oh. And I looked at it and I thought, oh man, there's no way I could do that job. I'm too old to do that. Oh. And I just never really put much thought into it beyond that. But I remember distinctly seeing the website. Wow, that's interesting. I wonder how you ran across it. Because I was looking for outdoor jobs. Oh, really? And it just came up on a search. Wow, and then it just wild. kind of put me in a rabbit hole of looking at other outdoor jobs. But yeah, so... Uh, I don't know where we were at. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Greg's like, now nah, you need to work at Anasazi. And so you finally decide to do it in, you start around August or so of 2015. What was that experience like as a trail walker? I know that's, that question would be really hard for me to answer, but maybe just initially at the very beginning, what, what was it like for you? What was your experience like? Man, I, uh... There's so many feelings in that. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing I thought about was, oh my gosh, yeah, they might be able to, may not be able to tell that I'm 40 something, but in my brain, I was like, there are such babies, all these trail walkers. <laughs> yeah. I felt really out of place at first. I didn't feel like, um, just my life experience was very different than yeah. most of the kids that were working there. But, it was exactly what I was looking for, really. I, it was extremely fulfilling. It was extremely hard. Uh, as a 40-year-old, and I was in pretty decent shape. I wasn't in the best shape, but I was in pretty good shape when I first started working there. And those hikes were, were brutal. <laughs> they're different. They're, they're very different. Yeah. Can you explain why they're different? Because I try to explain that to people, too, sometimes when I'm like, you can hike a mile on an Anasazi hike and it feels like the equivalent of a 13 mile hike on an, a normal human being hike it's is yeah why well, because do you well let's see how is the best way to describe that uh it's because you're not on a trail. <laughs> you are really picking your own path. I think the best way to describe it, I, my very first week on the trail, I was with the boys group, and I remember I was leading for the first time, and I really didn't know what to expect other than yeah. to just use my compass and use the map and try to make a line and go for it. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm looking for the path of least resistance. But right now I'm walking into a wall of manzanita and <laughs> yeah. I don't really know what to do. And the young walker, the, the young student behind me, he, he says, just push, just go through. And I said, seriously? I'm like, I'm going to get shredded. And he's like, yeah, that's kind of what we do. And I said, 
this is normal <laughs> and this was his last week on the trail so yeah. yes it was normal and this was something he was used to yeah. and i was doing it just right um and we pushed through it but it was so helpful to hear it from him that that's what we do and but that's why it's so hard because you are looking for what makes sense as the best path to take but sometimes it's not nearly as easy as if you could be looking above and see where a natural trail would be. You're just yeah. kind of looking for, you know, anywhere you can push through. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's hard to explain if you've never done it. And I feel like probably most people haven't. I mean, because there's always trails places. And it's cool when you're out there on the Anasazi Trail and you're trying to find a route, like you said, the path of least resistance. There are times where you'll realize you're following the same trails the deer follow you know and it's kind of a cool experience to be going and you're like wow we're on kind of a trail but this is not a human trail this isn't a trail anyone made this isn't a even a cow trail a lot of the time this is this is a game trail and so you're seeing the land the same way the animals are it's kind of a cool experience where you're like wow i'm i'm just we're thinking the same way um but there are times where you get in a situation where there is no other way. There, you're in the middle of you know, a sea of cat claw or manzanita or... Or it's the straight up rocks like you had last week that <laughs> yeah. you and I had hiked the same general area together. Yeah. And that's a, that's a rough spot uh-huh. where, especially when you're only five foot tall, that was probably one of the biggest oh, challenges yeah. for me, is that you'd have this pack on your back that weighs you know, a good 40, 50 pounds of yeah. random stuff. And and now you're going straight up a waterfall uh-huh. with no water. Yeah. Luckily, you don't have that against you. But, you know, the, the rocks are so tall. And I'd uh-huh. be watching these six-foot kids just bounce right up. And they're probably like, hey, guys, wait. Yeah. I can't just do that. Yeah. And I, I feel like I learned that <laughs> when you firsthand. And I- Maybe we'll get to that story in a second. Um, anyway, so so yeah, you're, any other first kind of remembering what it was like at the start? Uh, I remember my very first thought was when we were driving out to my first week on the trail and I saw... Um, Oh, Michael Baird? Yes, Michael okay. Baird. I saw, so he was the very first person I saw on switch outs. And so our vehicle had just pulled up to switch out the other bands. And Michael Baird came up to me and he showed me his hands. And they were like cut and super dirty and just trashed. Uh-huh. And he said, if your hands look like this at the end of the week, you're doing your job right. <laughs> and it, that stuck with me forever. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> and, I, and my hands did look like that at the end of the week. <laughs> so. Wow, that's awesome. Um, maybe I, I'd like to share that story um, from my perspective. So I got the great honor of, I th- was that your last week? Uh-huh. Wow, yeah. I had the great honor of being able to walk with Lori her very last full week on the trail. And uh, we were with an amazing group of, we have a young adult group at Anasazi. We had a really great group of guys there. And there's this one section. We're going into Lime Creek. Anybody who's listening is familiar with Anasazi. We're heading into Lime Final D. And we're so close. Like We're almost there. But there's the... Most most of the Final Ds, as we call them, the Final Destinations, 
there's a lot of them there's like you know the long week hike you're getting so close to getting there then there's just a couple hurdles at the very end to get through and at this one there's this waterfall that you have to go around you can't you know it's like a 20 30 foot drop you know so you have to go around it and it's still really steep you know crumbly rock and uh so we were all kind of going around the waterfall trying to go down this really steep lots of just crumbly rock and gravel and stuff so it's easy to to slide and we're coming down and it seems I have a memory of you being kind of I think maybe you were in the back or something I don't remember because I remember turning around and uh I guess I didn't see what happened. I just know you slipped on that part. What? what? Well, I, I didn't even slip. What happened was there was... I love, like, when I think about the path of stone and how mm. you have firm foundations that you can depend on, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, the people in your life that you can just depend on. And then sometimes there's stones that look like they're a great foundation. Mm. They aren't. Mm. And, and they slip right out from underneath you. Yeah. And that's basically what happened was this rock that, I, I mean, it was just normal walking. It wasn't like I was doing anything special. But this rock that looked very stable and flat was not. And yeah. it was like whatever was under it, just the way I stepped on it, it gave out completely. And it just pop, <laughs> literally. Like that, I don't know even what that bone thing is, but... <laughs> It's like right there on your pinky bone of your toe. And I felt slash heard the pop. Oh my gosh. Making me cringe thinking about it. Yeah, but you guys were amazing. Oh man. But I was was like, I was so mad. I was more mad than I was anything else. I could tell. Oh, I was furious. I just wanted to finish and Mm. get done and get you guys to final D and just. Yeah. uh, And I. I think at the beginning of this, I mentioned that I've always been a very independent person. Mm. And so it was really hard for me to accept the fact that I was going to need some help. Yeah. And I could see that because anybody who knows Lori knows that she's a warrior, you know. Uh, And that's, yeah, I could tell that was like a moment of turmoil. Not necessarily because of the pain, like you were in pain, but you could handle the pain. But it was, I could tell it was really hard to accept like I need help because like you couldn't really walk if I remember right you were like crawling most of the way if I remember right but the but the cool thing was is like one of the boys took my pack and literally took the whole pack and put it on top of his pack he was a machine he was a huge guy I don't know how he did that I I wouldn't have been able to carry that luckily it's the last day of the week so the food pack is light (laughs) at that point but uh, yeah he took my whole pack and then I think you and Sky took my comp kits and uh-huh. uh, one of the young walk or snuggle walkers took my um my gatherings bag and another one made me a walking stick yeah like there was such a feeling of love and compassion and unity and togetherness I, we walked as we absolutely that rest of the way yeah so yeah it was it was a cool experience i a lot of times when I've been out there on the trail and there's been something like that happen, obviously it's an unfortunate thing that you don't want, you know, you don't want anyone to break their foot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes that's that's what it takes. And I don't think, 
I'm not saying in that group we necessarily needed that per se, but there has been times where you know things like that have happened, and that's what brings people together. Maybe you're everyone's really mad on the hike, which happens sometimes. When people are cussing and hating everything, hating Anasazi, hating everyone in their band, and um, just hating everything about life. But then something like that happens, and it's like, hey, we got to band together. This person needs our help, and it actually can turn into a really beautiful, unifying experience. And I remember that I was really amazed by. Um, uh, the guy carrying your pack because uh, yeah that it's big pack and I remember you wouldn't you weren't letting us take it no and I didn't like, no, you I'm carrying it I'm carrying it we had to like rip it off your body yeah. and uh, take it from you and he just said no I've got it yeah. and it was really cool to kind of see that because I know that he loved you and um, he wanted to do that for you yeah. and uh, and then the whole we were there at at our final D spot for a couple more days. And it, you were like the old wise shaman because you're like hobbling around with your staff. And then you're like calling each member of the group over one by one to sit down and have these things we call sittings with you. And you'd like give them beads. And it just felt like you were like the shaman of the group over there. Looking back at that, yeah, I could see how that looked exactly like that. It was amazing. I remember, literally, that that walking stick was saving me. Yeah. Um, I wish I could say their names, but yeah. I'm sure they listen to this, and mm-hmm. um, I know one of them specifically does for sure. And I sure love those guys. Yeah. And such good kids. I love yeah. them. It was great. Yeah. So Lori's a warrior. Um. <laughs> um Oh, another thing I wanted to ask you about was, I know you're very passionate about fire making. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I want to know what your journey with fire was like, maybe the first time you learned it, what that's been like, maybe what it's still like, and uh, just any insights about the, just the power of fire making. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I love fire. Uh, so I mentioned I took Grace class back in 2013, and uh, he teaches fire making in that class, but he only at the time taught hand drill. Oh, really? And hand drill's hard. Wow. Uh, and I got it tandem, so there's two of us that work together to make fire, and we got it eventually, but it wasn't as satisfying, I don't think, for me at the time as it could have been because, again, that independent yeah. part of me comes out and, like, I don't want to have to depend on somebody. And I couldn't do it by myself. And I wasn't taught bow and drill at the time. And uh, when I came out to work for Anasazi, um, Greg kept saying, you better learn how to make fire before you get there. Because you got to know how to make fire. Hmm. And I felt so much pressure. And so every day I would be in the backyard trying to make fire. And it was brutal because i started in august and so you gotta oh think gosh. like june july i'm out in the backyard trying to make fire in the afternoon and the last thing you want to make exactly and i'm getting frustrated i don't want greg present because i don't want to feel the intimidation pressure although we're partners and i should yeah. have just asked him for help but it, at the time it was a I get pride that, thing yeah so i i kept trying and i'd get super sweaty and mad and throwing sticks and didn't even know if I had the right materials and then the time came that I was I was going out to my rabbit stick experience my training experience at Anasazi Uh and um, still didn't know how to make fire and I still wasn't trying with a bow and drill 
because I still didn't know how to do that either. Yeah. So um, I get out there and we get to our spot and Matt Warner, Michael Sanders, and Allie Jenkins hmm. were there. And the three of them decide to have a bust off. Mm-hmm. So they're going to compete to see who can make fire the <laughs> fastest. And it started off, I mean, it was like a true bust off where they had uh, their materials set to one side. They started from another position and ran over to <laughs> the materials. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, uh, busted a coal. And then they have to take their coal to their bundle, which was across where they started from, dump it into the bundle, and then blow it into flame to win. Uh-huh. And Allie Jenkins... Uh, for anyone who didn't have the pleasure of knowing her, um, she was tiny. Yeah. She was itty bitty. I mean, she was average <laughs> height, but she was very, very thin and yeah. very, very petite. Um, and Allie was very meek and quiet and mm-hmm. shy, and she was ferocious. Absolutely. And she busted that coal faster than anybody I'd ever seen. <laughs> she got it into that tinder bundle and blew it into flame faster than both Michael and uh, t- uh, Matt Warner. And I was just blown away. Yeah. And I remember it was great because it was dusk and I was welling up with tears wow. because I thought, holy cow, if this little girl can do it, yeah. then I can do this. And yeah. um, I immediately went to her and I said, Allie, will you teach me that? And she said, of course I will. And I thought, okay, I'm going to be able to do this. I'm going to be able to make fire. And I was totally at ease feeling I'd never met this girl and she was going to teach me. Uh Now, there was another piece of the intimidation factor is that Michael Sanders and Matt Warner both knew Greg Mm. prior to this. So in my mind, I was already feeling this pressure of they have this kind of um, preconceived notion that I'm going to be able to make fire because mm-hmm. I'm dating the guy yeah. who teaches classes and has worked at Anasazi and knows how to make fire. So clearly I should know all these things. And uh, so I was very nervous to be around them because I thought they're going to be having these high expectations of me. Yeah. And Allie did not know me and didn't know Greg. And uh-huh. so I felt safe with her. Yeah. But the next morning, what we discovered is they were splitting our group up and we were hiking separately to a new final destination area and I wasn't going to be with Allie. Uh. And I was devastated. And I had um, a sitting with Allie and she just kept telling me that I, she's like, is this stopping you from going forward? And I knew that it was, it was, this pressure was something I needed to let go. Hmm. that I needed to just be willing to be vulnerable and just try. Yeah. And so I I let that go in a little uh, ceremonial sitting that we had. And I moved on and hiked with Matt and GFD, and which is Michael's nickname. And uh, so we, we hike in, and I remember the first day, I, I am so nervous about starting this process and I go and I find a stick and I ask Matt hey do you think this will make a a good bow and he's like yeah that should work and I I'm feeling the pressure and I say to him with tears in my eyes and I'm holding it back I said 
I've never made fire before. And he's like, that's all right. You'll do it today. And I'm like, that is not what I expected to hear. <laughs> I expected to hear, what? You've never made fire? But no, he was just, he was confident that, yeah, that's all right. We'll do it. I'm huh. like, okay. So I, uh, I got a set together and it's August and it's humid and it's hot and we're down at Pine mm. and um, I'm, I'm trying so hard to make fire and everybody in my group except for two have now made fire mm. and I love it too that they, they have us uh, name our fire yeah. and when you throw it into the you know into the fire pit once you've you've blown it into flame and and Connor uh, Bertrand uh-huh. he was in my rabbit stick group oh. and Connor he's like blows it into flame and he throws it to the ground and he says and that's Jennifer Aniston because she's hot. <laughs> I just start dying laughing. I'm like, you're funny, man. So I'm I'm working on it. I'm trying to make fire, and I want to be like that. I want to be able to give my fire name, and yeah. and uh, I get to a point where I I'm getting blisters, and I'm just my whole body is fatigued. I am sweaty. I just go lay down and pine, and I just take a, a break and rest. Yeah. And I come back after I clear my mind, and uh, I, I decide this is it. I'm gonna do it. I'm I'm gonna make it. Like I'm getting close anyway. Yeah. And Michael Sanders is telling a story about mermaids, and I don't know. Some of your listeners have probably, if they're from Anasazi, have heard the mermaid story. Do you know the mermaid story? <laughs> yeah, it sounds familiar. <laughs> I won't tell it all, but <laughs> but the the gist of it is is that our supervisor at the time believed that mermaids were a real thing for about 24 hours he thought mermaids were real and um and so he's telling this story and he's very animated with the way he tells stories and and i'm hearing it in the background and people are laughing and listening to him and and i'm just focused on my fire set and i'm i'm you know working the bow and i'm starting to see some smoke and he's still talking about mermaids and my heart is just kind of smiling and kind of laughing a little bit and you can't help but smile and laugh with the story and and all of a sudden I'm seeing smoke I'm seeing more smoke oh my gosh I'm gonna get it I'm gonna oh my goodness it's really gonna happen and I'm I'm getting even more excited the smoke's billowing and nobody's even really paying attention to me because they're all listening to the mermaid story and uh pretty soon I've got a coal and I'm freaking out but I'm not like really freaking out and and I get the coal into my tinder bundle and I start blowing and sure enough there it is flame wow. and I throw it into the fire pit and I said Ariel because she's a mermaid <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'll never forget that and I just bawled I just cried and cried and cried because I had worked so hard for this thing yeah. and I just I knew at that moment that in order to have fire I couldn't my heart had to be right in the right place mm. I was happy I was not um, frustrated or angry I was really just focused on being positive mm. and I think that well I know that every time since then because making fire because it didn't come easily I I continue to do it as often as I possibly can yeah. I love making fire uh, but I have to have myself centered before I start Close the church bells yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um 
Yeah, so making fire um, is a lot like hiking for me in that in order to really get the benefit from it, I have to just let myself be in my best frame of mind. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't like to hike if I'm angry. I don't yeah. like to hike if I'm um, frustrated. Although, if I do, sometimes it'll get me to that, that good spot. Uh-huh. But with fire, I know I can't make it if mm. I'm angry at all. That's yeah. Nothing nothing will happen. Yeah. So. Thank you. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, yeah, I've, I've found that 100% as well in my fire making and in my hiking and running. I'm trying to accomplish some kind of goal, you know, with, with fire making. Obviously, it's making fire. Um, or to me it's always been my, my frustration and anger that's preventing from it it's I, that I found through fire making had to do with like a lot of really deep personal um, insecurities that I have about myself and and so then I'm I'm making fire in those moments as a as a way to reassure myself that I am worth something that I'm that I'm worthwhile, and I, I think that's that's the wrong motivation, you know. Right. I'm making fire because of fear, you know, kind of thing, and it, it doesn't doesn't work, nope. <laughs> you know. Nope. And uh, yeah, it's always a gift. It's always a miracle. Always a I've seen fire be made with set with fire sets that shouldn't work. <laughs> Everything about it, the the, the little chimney you carve is not good. Maybe it's soaking wet. They have a green, wet spindle, you know, that's fresh. It's alive, you know. Okay. that That's not supposed to work. And then it works. And then I've seen the flip side where me, I've had so many experiences where I know how to make fire. Um, in my second training, when I came to Anasazi, I, I went through a second training. At this point, I felt like I was pretty proficient at fire making, pretty good. And I did, couldn't make fire in that one. Wow. I never got it. And I knew the materials. I had everything. And it just wasn't working that day. And so it's always a gift. And there's obviously always something you can change here and there. But it's always a gift. And it's a miracle. And I think every single person in the world who has ever sat around a campfire of any kind also understands that. Yeah. You know, at, at Anasazi, we have, you know, all kinds of different people come through the program. And, and you've I know you've seen this when... You know, we get kids come out there and they're sitting around a campfire for the first time. And maybe a lot of these kids have never been camping and never really spent time. You know, they're mesmerized by the stars at first. And then we get the fire going. Everyone can just sit around the fire and just stare at it for hours. And it never gets old. And, uh, you know, obviously, (laughs) I don't know. I tell people, I'm like, fire to me is the closest thing to just a straight up, sci-fi magical power but that is a real thing that we see every day and it's just this unbelievable miracle thing that that we can create i 100 percent agree and i don't even know how to comment to that Uh but i agree with you it's it's i can't i have no words for you um Mm -hmm. other than when it happens the, the knowledge that you've created this heat that is now turned into something else. Mm. It's like trying to catch a caterpillar and turn it into a butterfly. Mm. Like you can't, 
there's nothing else that you can do so quickly and change it from one thing to another. Does yeah, that make sense? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think one of the <laughs> craziest things, I think I've said this on the trail and depending on what kids I'm telling it to, they'll say like, oh, that's some, some real hippie stuff, Ford. <laughs> you know, but I think about it, I'm like, man, because even outside of making fire, like making fire, someone gives you a fire set. And when I say a fire set, it's like Laurie was talking about the bow drill fire set or hand drill. You got the different pieces for it. You can make fire with someone's fire set. And that's still an awesome, yeah. awesome experience. But when it's your fire set that you have made, you've gone out into the woods and gathered the materials and then made fire with it. It's incredible. And because I remember when I had this insight one day. <laughs> And it came to me while I was just staring at a fire for hours out on the trail. And it was because, you know, I was thinking about my fire set that had created this fire that I was sitting around. And what the pieces of the fire set were made out of wood, made out of different trees and plants out there. And trees and plants need the sun, right? So the sun feeds them and they grow. They're growing up to that greater light. And then I come around and harvest their skeletons and use them, rub them together, create that friction and create just this little tiny little ember. And then through that, put it in a tinder bundle, blow it in a flame, start a fire. And as you look at, this is real hippie stuff, but as I'm looking at the campfire and all the sticks, all the dead sticks that we're putting on there and the smoke, where does it go? It's going up into the sky like it's going back to its home where it came from that energy that was stored into all the plants from the sun the greater light the ultimate light it's like all that energy is then returning back almost in this big cycle that's some pretty good hippie stuff you got there <laughs> i like it though it is but i, I like think it about that it's like i can it's like you can see the spirit of the of the firewood going back up to firewood heaven <laughs> i don't know that's some what i think about when i watch heaven. that yeah I so yeah fire's pretty great uh well Lori, we've done 57 minutes that's pretty darn good i like it and uh you're a fantastic person Lori. thanks for sharing that was so great you were nervous i was so nervous everyone who does this podcast always says they're nervous and Lori said the same thing but anyone who just listened to this knows that that was fantastic Aww, thank you so thank you, you so much for being the person you are and uh uh, being a mentor to all of us here and uh, and a motherly figure when we're all away from our moms out here walking the trail. all my kids. <laughs> yeah. that's, you know what though, that's, that's the gift for me is that um, this might be too much and you can cut this out if you don't want it later, <laughs> but I wasn't able to have kids and uh, I, I can't have children and I didn't really want to adopt because I wasn't in a relationship or anything and until much later in life and but I figured it out I figured mm. out why I wasn't supposed to because I feel like all you trail walkers are my kids mm. I, I mean the kids on the trail you know the young walkers they're they're like you know it was fun to be with them and help them and um, let them see their seeds of greatness and get them through their program but I'm not their mom yeah and but for trail walkers it's different I feel I feel like you guys do come from all parts of the country to come work here and 
Greg and I, when we bought this house, we wanted to be able to have a space for trail walkers to gather. Mm. And I remember the first time I saw you guys gathering out on the tennis court playing basketball when we first moved here. And mm. my heart was just so happy to watch from washing dishes and like, oh, those are our kids. They're out there <laughs> playing. You know, these 20 something year olds, 30 year olds that are out there playing. And yeah. I just love it. I love, Greg and I both love being able to be parents to you guys for yeah. um, when you can't be at home with your real folks all the time. And yeah. we just hope that we can always provide that service. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I love you guys and you know a whole bunch of other of your Anasazi kids do as well. So. Thanks, Thanks for being who you are. You. Thanks for being on the podcast. And I never know how to end these things. <laughs> See you later. Sure, sure love you. Sure, love you. <laughs>